A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rue Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rukens, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. Welcome, uh, Julia Reiter from uh, the greater Toronto area in Canada, if I'm not mistaken, Julia. That's right. We are on the 4th of October, 2021. Um, welcome to the Design to Change podcast. As you heard, uh, my colleague Anthony was actually in your neck of the woods, um, uh, Julia. He's, he's based out in Toronto. Uh, Anthony Vade. Uh, but this yeah. conversation is going to be um, focusing on a very interesting conversation we had some time back, uh, Julia, where, um, and if I look at Julia's profile on LinkedIn, which is usually the way that we start, um, Julia is extremely talented, I think, in being able to capture in very short videos the essence of how to trigger conversations. If you have not seen how that's done, check the liner notes at the bottom. You'll see one of those little videos. But Julia specialized in talent acquisition and creating networks, uh, as well as educational trainings and events uh, that help employers on their branding and to acquire new talent. And you've done that in various environments um, with a bachelor's degree from uh, Queen's University, um, as well as Smith School of Business. Uh, which is at Queen's University, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you are the the new talent in action, Julia. How does that make you feel? It, it's interesting because so when I was when I was a recruiter, I specialized in campus recruitment, and at the same time, when when I was a student and I when I was a student, I, I and I was doing recruitment internships. I was recruiting students and so I was I was respond I, I I you know I was on the one side where I was learning what companies valued in student talent and um but I was also a student and I could relate to to the students we recruit were recruiting and I you know I knew what what our classes were teaching us and how well prepared we were and I think the biggest thing that I learned from recruitment or how I how I used to phrase it is the number one thing that separates people who who get hired from students who kind of struggle with the job application process is how prepared they were for the interview and for the application process. And I knew how to prepare because I was a recruiter, mm. but it's not something we learned in school. And so I'm proud to be a graduate of such a well-known university, but I think in terms of preparing the leaders of tomorrow for real success in the job market, I think that, that my school has a long way to go. Don't tell them that but a lot of schools do. And I think once you see the inside of how a school functions or how people come out of that specific program, you know so much more than, um, than when you just observe it from the outside, right? And I think uh, this, this is the same thing, with, same thing with employer branding, I think, and the reputation that precedes or supersedes uh, any brand 
is as good or as bad as the last match that it played with any of the employers that are either on the payroll or just off the payroll. Um, and I think that's a super interesting topic for our audience because <clears throat> around design to change, which is elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now, the book, um, what I'd like to explore with you, Julia, with your permission is this first question. And the first question is, a good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Yeah, so it's, thank you for asking it. And I've heard you, you say this question a couple of times now, and I think only now it's really sinking in. And in, in, in short, the answer is, I would say a mix. Like it's important to be prepared for spontaneity, but it's really important to be prepared for a conversation and in a lot of ways not to leave it to chance. And the, the, one of the biggest things that I focused on when I was recruiting and at the same time coaching students through their interview process was to figure out why were they in this conversation in the first place? So if a recruiter was speaking to them or, you know, the head of a certain department at a company was speaking to them, what is that person going through in, what, what is that person's team going through right now that they have a need for talent? Hmm. What is the, what is the, you know, what is the nature of the work that that team is doing or what is the project that they're doing right now that has caused them to be open to having conversations with prospective talent or with students? And if you can figure that out, which honestly isn't very difficult and I can go through that afterward, uh, but if you can figure that out, then you can make sure that everything that you mention in that conversation to their immediate needs, which is going to make them, you know, it's going to give them a reason to continue speaking to you. Um, and I, I know earlier, Rude, we talked about examples and the importance of not speaking abstractly. I, I mm -hmm. think that's obviously, it's important in conversation. It's yeah. important to do that in an, in an interview and in any conversation, and I'm going to do it now. So uh, I, I can think, so when I reached out to you, I'll use this as an example. So for anybody listening, the way that Rude and I came into contact was I was curious to meet people who were successful in the industry that I want to succeed in, which at the moment is, you know, at, in a mixture of the events industry and, uh, and, and, you know, the educational events industry. I wanted to speak to Rude and the way that, that, that I went about that was I did a lot of research on Rude's profile, on his LinkedIn profile. So I, and with the goal of figuring out what was important to Rude in his career. And obviously I'm gonna infer that, but I can look at, you know, where, what his first job was, where he went to school and then look at where he is now and try to make inferences about, you know, what he likes about his field. And if you look at somebody's activity section on their LinkedIn profile, you can see what, what they're commenting on, what they're liking. Um, and in my introduction to Rude, I, pointed out specific things that that he seemed to be concerned with at the moment that I was interested in learning about. Uh, and by doing that, you are saying to the person that this conversation is going to be relevant to them. And I think that's really important. Now, in that two minute clip, which I only saw after you sent me the opening line, and I'll read the opening line just for those that have just listened to that story. Um, here's what she said on the 9th of September. Hi, Ruth. I'm amazed by your transition from hospitality marketing to experience design. I'm looking to transition into the events industry and I'm eager to learn 
how your time at the College of Extraordinary Experiences informed your current success. Do you have five minutes this or next week to chat? When a message like that comes in, the mindset of the responder is immediately, and this is what I responded, hi Julie, of course, let's find a time to speak, right? I'm in this time zone, so your earlier AM would probably work better on date XYZ. So immediately you have a, a hook because you've shown interest. Um, and I think especially in a world where the, you know, the, the digital network you create um, is so content rich, this is a huge opportunity. Could I ask you, maybe Julia, because this is, I mean, for you, this is probably like something you do you know, and can easily repeat in that video that you recorded last year, as you just mentioned, you explain how to do this in two minutes, right? Could you give people like, what is the, what is that rundown? How, how did you get to this kind of sentence? Because that's fascinating. You just explained it kind of in the, in a long form, but what do you need to do step by step? That's a, a very fair question. I, I, at the risk of sounding uh, totally, I guess, I, I don't know what the, I, it seems almost like a sleazy sales tactic to describe, but I'm just going to go in, I'm going to go right ahead because I think people should replicate this. Yes. Step one is look at the person's profile, identify something impressive about it or interesting. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not like, for example, if you're looking at their prof at their, at their job titles, have they been promoted three times in the same organization? Start with that. Say that I noticed you've been promoted three times in this organization. Or if they've been part of an interesting podcast such as Designed to Change, you can point out, you know, I've listened to this and it's really interesting. Point out something interesting or impressive about their profile. The second thing is to relate it to you. So clarify why you're reaching out to them. Easiest way to do this is to say that you're looking to learn from their success. And Rude, I've already made this clear to you, but I truly was looking to learn from your success. Um, and, and usually when you're speaking to somebody, if it's, you know, for, for the purpose of business, you are looking to tap into their world. So what I always do is I point out something interesting or impressive about your profile. I say that I'm reaching out because I'm interested to learn from their success. That's usually like, you know, a, a, a short sentence. Uh, and then step three is asking them for five minutes this week to chat. This is a really popular sales tactic. You wanna quantify the amount of time this person is gonna to have to spend on the phone with you. They're busy and they probably have priorities that are more important than speaking to you. So say, so take away, you know, the, if you set, if you, if you set a day or you say this week and you specify the amount of time, they don't have to spend the effort to think about when they're available and they now know exactly how long they're going to spend on the phone with you, which gives them very little reason not to. If you ask someone if they have five minutes to chat, the answer is always going to be yes, because everybody has five minutes to chat. So just to recap this, number one is look at the person's profile, find something interesting or impressive about their profile, point it out. Number two is to tell them that you are interested in learning from their success. And you can change the wording of that if you want to get fun with it. And number three, which is the most important part, is let them know it's not going to take that long to talk to you. Uh, tell them that you'd like to speak this week or ask if they have time to speak this week for five minutes or, I don't know, 10 minutes, but quantify it. 
Awesome. Um, and if you want to look at that again, I'll, I'll make sure we drop that little clip uh, and, and feel free to link to link to Julia as well. We'll put our LinkedIn profile in the liner notes because I think whatever you enjoyed in our conversation, which started off as a five minute prompt, but ended up in this podcast now, um, you know, only uh, what is it less than a month later. Um, I think there's interest in conversations and in digging through conversations and what triggers people. Now, I'm super interested because you always talk about the, you know, what's going to change for people that want to get hired or recruited or whatever it might be. But what's currently on your horizon of change, Julia? What's, what's on your horizon of change for, let's say, the next year? I think I like the answer to that is probably relatable to a lot of people. Uh, I, I have spent a year and a half working virtually. And for a lot of that year, I was working for myself. So just, and, and in short, I would like to find some mode of working feels more connected. Hmm. So I, Kate, so just to give you kind of, um, I'm just going to try to make this relevant. I, I was doing consulting, so career consulting. Uh, not only was I putting up educational tidbits, like the one that I just went through in the form of video, but I also had an open calendar for anybody to call me and get direction on how to hear back from the companies they were applying to. Um, and I think, you know, I did that with the purpose of, of wanting to feel more connected during the pandemic, even though I was at home. And I think a lot of people have done, have, have can probably relate to that, you know, either filling their calendar, maybe not so much now, but earlier in the lockdown with, uh, you know, social meetings or, uh, coffee chats or even, you know, extracurriculars, virtually with the purpose of kind of keeping things feeling normal. And it's for me, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of benefits with, with interacting virtually and I can go into those later, but I, I would like to, to kind of shift my work into, into a, 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 a way that feels more connected, whether that means meeting people more in person, um, I'm looking to, to hopefully do more in-person workshops. I was doing a lot of in, uh, virtual workshops and coaching. So we can definitely talk more about that because uh, I'd be interested to hear how what you've done, Rude, to kind of keep your world feeling, you know, human mm -hmm. in terms of the people that you speak to and the events you host or workshops you host. Yeah, yeah. Um, fascinating. And that's <clears throat> that's exactly part of the... Part of the um, spectrum, I think, of learning that many people have gone through that have created the horizon of change for them in this past, you know, say two years, but also in the upcoming period in the event and experience design industries, if you could call that an industry, like some people say there's a breakfast, lunch and dinner industry, but, you know, what is an industry? At the end of the day, it's about creating behavior change that creates value um, through a very delineated amount of time, which, which if there's multiple stakeholders, you could call an event, right? So you've done a lot of talent acquisition events and creating networking and educational events. Um, in this next kind of, uh, we're gonna, coming up to a split in the road, right? We can, we can take two exits. One of them could be, we go, we keep going down the horizons of change. Um, and I will ask you a series of questions about the horizons of change or the other option, uh, Julia, is that we can spin the wheel and the wheel has um, seven topics on it, 
One of them is Horizons of Change. Um, but then you might end up somewhere else uh, because the seven topics are the seven chapters in the book. Um, and we could pick one of those and um, go down that rabbit hole. Which has your preference? I think we should do the second one. It's always important to practice thinking on the spot. Awesome. So I'm going to uh, spin the wheel for you and I'll share my screen so you can, uh, uh, you can see that we're actually ending on, uh, on the one that serendipitously now comes up. Here we go. Let's give this wheel a spin. Let me do that again so we actually have some sound. Ah. Wants versus needs. Wants versus needs. Okay, so this is chapter four. And wants versus needs. I'll give you a little bit of time to think about this because um, wants versus needs is something that we probably all recognize. Uh, and the first question that we have here um, is the question, when was the last time you identified a gap between the want and the need? So when was the last time you identified a gap between the want and the need? With this question, the first thing I think about is employer branding events. So when and so when I was when I worked in recruitment and mostly in person, we facilitated a lot of events that attracted hundreds of students for the purpose of promoting working at whichever organization was sponsoring the event. And, and this comes at this, this format of event also applies to the non-recruitment world. More often than not, an event is sponsored by a company and the purpose of the event is for people to ultimately learn about that company. Yeah. What I noticed in recruitment is, and this isn't speaking for every recruitment agency or every recruitment team, but what I noticed was the company that was organizing the event just wanting to get it done efficiently and as a result of that you know if, if there were speakers for example at the event just fo focusing on you know talking about the company and their and the speakers experiences working at the company and and uh and it became very one-sided like the the event for the attendees was just basically a, a stream of promotion for the organization. And if they were lucky, they got the chance to network with other people, with, with other students at the company, or if they were lucky, they got a chance to, to, to squeeze in after the speakers were done to actually ask one of them a question. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the events that I went to were not built with the attendees in mind, not built with the attendees experience in mind. And I think to tie this into the question, the, the desire or the want that the organization had was to promote their company. And I think ultimately they wanted to connect with students, uh, but that was disconnected from the needs of the students. So when we think about people's needs, it's not just you know the important person in the room, uh, which I think is really important. It's not just the needs of the employer reaching out to, it's not the needs of the, the impressive person you're reaching out to. It's the needs of every person in the room and in the conversation. And even those students, you know, they're in second year, first year university, they're 18, 19 years old. They still, their needs still need to be need, needed to be thought about and 
respect and, and recognized by by the companies organizing the event. So to mm-hmm. tie this into what I was talking about earlier, think about what are these what are these students day to day? What would like you know first what 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 do they need from this event to be engaged and have a good time? Is it a lot of time to socialize? Is it interactive? you know, learning experiences that are experiential that they don't get access to in the classroom Hmm. that they can actually take away and put on their resume as, you know, as having learned a skill at this event. A lot of our events had, you know, pitch, mini pitch competitions, workshops on how to sell yourself. And then the students would all have to create a personal sales pitch and present it. So what can we give these students to actually, you know, take away from this event, a reason for them to come? And then also, what are these students actually looking for in a company? Um, are they looking to feel connected to the team that they that they're applying to or the teams that they're interested in as opposed to intimidated by them because if so maybe it shouldn't be a speaker and everybody's listening to the speaker maybe it should be roundtable discussions and i but i went and helped organize a lot of events that were not like that that were very one-sided and intimidating for students and i also went to events and helped create events that were like that and the difference was that I think the main difference is that students felt way more comfortable in that latter half type of event, which was engaging and built around their needs. They felt way more comfortable to step out of their, to, to, to come out of their shell and, and connect and learn from, from these companies because they felt like their needs were actually respected and, mm. and catered to. Mm. And so they felt safe and trusted us. So um, in our book, we talk about this idea <clears throat> uh, and I like these examples um, we talk about the, the the kind of that there's a value distance between the want and the need, right? So um, a want is also a first expression of a need, but you have to scratch the surface deeper. You have to get closer to the need in order to create more value. And now events create value through behavior change. That's the only mechanism that we know that creates value at events. So behavior change of the stakeholders. So keeping that in mind, let's go to question number two. Question number two is, what questions will you ask to help you identify the value distance? So, so what, is, what is the gap between the want and the need, right? In the next conversation. So what question will you ask to help you identify the value distance towards the real need in the next conversation? It's a great question. And it's so interesting how how, you know, if you're a salesperson or if you're a junior salesperson, uh, this is the kind of, these are the kinds of questions you would be asking yourself. And this is the kind of thing that you need to get to the bottom of in a conversation. Hmm. I'm going to use the example of uh, the situation of an event planner or director speaking to the client that they're, that they're creating this event on behalf of, Hmm. whether the client is a department within their organization, whether this event planner is independent and they are, they, they're working with a, a company. A lot of companies, from from my understanding of networking with people in the industry, is they'll say we want an event, and either it's an annual event, and they they do it every year. They kind of, uh, you know, it's something it's something that they that they kind of can't get around, and so they're going to contract it out to an event planner who actually has the expertise to carry that out. Or they, it's maybe you know a company like a recruitment company that has a very specific purpose for that event, which is to meet more talent or let's say it's a sales team or a new company and they're having a, a conference to hopefully meet more, uh, meet more prospective clients. Um, if you are an event organizer speaking to this person and they say they want to have an event, I think 
it's really important to figure out why they want to have that event. And a lot of the time, as I just said, you know, maybe it's something that was just, it's something that happens every year. But a lot of the time, if you ask questions, you know, like what made you, what made you want to have this event? Were there any other alternatives to this event that you consider to accomplish the same goal? Asking questions to really get to the bottom of what it is that they're trying to accomplish is really important. Um, and in, in, you know, in sales, we talk about somebody's pain points. So really uncovering what the pain is hmm. and the way that I, that I, you know, when I used to train salespeople is when I was recruiting salespeople, what we would talk about was, uh, figure out what is currently costing this person time, energy, or money. And if the event is the solution that's going to save them, you know, that more time, energy, or money, then, then that's great. Um, but, but if the solution is really, you know, for example, what's costing them time, energy, or money is how much, how much, uh, energy they're spending on just calling people. Um, and the solution is having a big event that maybe, you know, isn't going to fit, then, you know, it's figuring out what version of the solution that you're talking about is really going to, um, save them, uh, help ease the pain that they were experiencing in the beginning. And I apologize if that's kind of convoluted. Definitely feel free to ask me questions again and I can break it down. Well, that's, that, 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 that is actually the next question, uh, Julia, because, um, what you're describing is kind of like the, the jobs to be done by salespeople from their perspective as a salesperson. Uh, and in the canvas, we talk about, you know, the, the functional jobs and the social jobs and the emotional jobs and the basic needs. Um, because good events get jobs done, right? They, they, they alleviate pain and create gain through getting jobs done from that stakeholder's perspective. Because somebody else takes on a part of the workload for instance, to gather X amount of people in one place so you can reach them quicker, faster or cheaper. Right. Uh, the question I'm going to ask you is the following. What check in questions would you ask to verify understanding? So what check in questions would you ask to verify understanding? And just to clarify, to verify understanding between you and the client that you're working with that's organizing the event or is this yeah and, and i'm relating this to the want and need again right so let's 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 pretend that um in that example you just gave you have the opportunity to, to ask some of those check-in questions to the event owner what kind of questions would you ask them to make sure that you have their need and not their want if you're enjoying this conversation, check out the book and full multimedia experience by purchasing your copy of Design to Change, elevating your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Visit designtochange.online to order your copy and start interacting with more thought-provoking content like this. What kind of questions would you ask them to make sure that you have their need and not their want? There's two pieces to this or two steps. I would set out. And a lot of this is informed by the sales process. The first step is to ask this person why it is that they're speaking to you today and to learn about what, you know, the situation that they're in or the problem that they're facing mm -hmm. that has caused them to seek out assistance and a solution. 
The second step in this, which is the most important one, is asking them what other solutions they've considered to resolve this problem. And I, I think this is part of the design thinking methodology as well. And, and it's also in sales, like that's kind of reused in a lot of places. Hmm. You have to ask them what other solutions they've considered to resolve their problem because before coming to you, because that can tell you a lot about what the person's core need is. For and 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 moreover, and, and this can be a follow-up question that you ask them, what attribute the alternative solutions that they've tried? What attributes did they not like mm-hmm. and cause them to look for another solution? Because when you when you explain what what you can do to help them, you need to provide evidence that working with you is going to be better than the next best solution to their problem. And the you know two to three pieces of evidence that you can give to uh, uh, to support that is that you have those attributes that the other solutions that they've pursued don't have. And 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 if you don't have those attributes, then maybe you're not a solution to their problem. But at least you uncovered what specifically it is that they're looking for, what they need. It's as almost as if you've um, preempted the next question I'm going to ask you. Uh, Because the fourth question in this series is, without giving the solutions, how will you manage the expectation of giving options at a later time, right? So in design thinking, very often it's about excavating the problem, right? Taking a group of people to think about the problem for an amount of time to then at a later time present prototypes of potential solutions. But you have to buy time for the gap between exploring the problem prototyping the solutions or coming up with the deltas of the behavior changes and then prototyping solutions and then reclaiming time at a later time to go through the prototypes with that specific, in this case, event owner, for instance, right? So how do you manage that expectation of giving the options at a later time without already giving a solution? Because that's also a sales pitfall where people, problem solution, right? Oh, that's your problem. What other things? Oh yeah, here's your solution, right? And somehow my brain is then not primed to work for its lunch. Um, Because if you create an arc of suspense before you present prototypes, having thought about them clearly and reclaiming time on a second time, that's actually a very powerful thing to do. But the question is, how do you manage my expectation when I try to do that to you? It's It's a great question. And just to make myself credible, one before I answer it, in my last recruitment role, I was specifically recruiting, I was recruiting students into sales roles. And as part of this process, I spoke to a lot of sales leaders at organizations like Shopify, American Express, um, about what made a successful salesperson and what their experience was like in the field. And the number one thing that they always said was building trust and not jumping to offer a solution without really demonstrating the time to think about that person's problem is what will make you you know, I don't want to even say successful salesperson. I want to say an ally to the company that you're working with. Mm. And and the vast majority of, or I guess I don't have the ability, I'm not in a position to say that, but I have seen a lot of people go into sales roles and do what you say, which is to feel pressured to help in that moment, as opposed to dedicating the conversation to really uncovering the need. And, and, you know, I obviously, I, I ran a business for, for a year and a bit and I'm still, I'm still doing it. 
And so that's less experience than other people. But what I saw from helping job seekers that, that I was consulting hmm. is that just taking the time to understand their need shows a level of investment that most other companies, organizations, or figures in their life won't show them. And that is what builds trust. You know, the person knows because you spent the time to learn about their need and to ask them questions. You're obviously invested in solving and or in helping them resolve, you know, the helping them satisfy those needs because you actually took the time to learn specifically what they are. So I would reframe that question that you asked, which is, and, and it's a totally fair question, um, but it's, it's not really how much time you wait to answer them, but it's how much time you show that you're actually, that you're thinking about what, what, what they're telling you. And I notice instinctively, you almost do that automatically. Um, because when we started our call, just before we started recording, um, <clears throat> you mentioned these things, right? So, um, and I think it's very powerful, Julia, that you're able to apply the experience that you've had in one field to demonstrate how it's applicable in another field, right? From recruiting to sales to events. And I think if you can vectorize information or learnings between two or three fields, three preferably, it's almost like a GPS signal, right? So two satellites gives you a very lousy GPS signal, but three is way better, right? <laughs> and then four, five, six improves accuracy, but the third one is the critical one, right? So um, one of the reasons why, you know, what you said about trust, uh, love that, because actually this book that, you know, the the next chapter after wants and needs is about putting design on, on the agenda. And in order to do that, the chapter after that talks about um, how to become successful at claiming time. And then the chapter after that is actually having the conversation, right? So you slice and dice something you automatically did with your two minute video, right? Um, and with your first question that you asked me is you did all three of those things in one paragraph. And I think that's, um, it's a very powerful trust builder from the first moment of attention, because the first part of the moment of attention is the critical one to get the attention. The rest of it is only to build further trust. Funny thing is our upcoming EDC mastermind program is all going to be talking about trust. So you, you really kind of helped, I think, uh, also whoever else is listening to this to think about trust. And uh, trust is a complicated thing, uh, but it, it's about being trusting and trustworthiness, right? So um, what I liked is that you captured that in one or two sentences. You captured both. Um, and that's a powerful skill from your background that you vectorize through sales into events and you could apply into experience design very easily. Um, so um, congratulations on a relatively short but very rich career of learning that you've experienced. <laughs> Thank you. you. And I'll just, I'll just jump in and say that's what, like, what we're talking about is what is, is really what drew me to the experience design canvas. Yeah. You know, I went into recruitment for a reason. And, and you know, in, in hindsight, I think I wish recruitment had more of this, but 
I love networking events. I love educational opportunities or no. educational events where, you know, hundreds of eager students come together to learn about a career path. They think the, the power there is incredible. And a lot of times it's, you know, they're great events. And I've unfortunately been to a lot of events that are not, you know, they're not, they're not designed to, to, re to, to really give you the most, to give attendees the most value for their time there. And, and that has to do with a whole bunch of things that we just talked about, hmm. but I'm really excited about the events industry and the world of events. And I, and I, I like that the event canvas, you know, gets, it brings people back down to earth to say, why are we having this event in the first place? And how do we make sure that every second that this person is, that these people are spent in a, you know, together or in whatever format the event is, is produced in, how do we make every second work towards that goal? Because the event format is really, it's really unique. And it's the, you know, it's the magic of live experiences. Hmm. You don't have that, with you know, in any other kind of learning module, especially now. Um, yeah. Powerful stuff. Um, I have two more questions for you, which are not in this section. But the first one is, um, would you be uh, willing, this is actually a, um, it's kind of a mandatory yes on this one, but you know, people could say no. <laughs> but would you be willing if I send you the worksheet with the questions to provide also a written answer? Because sometimes we find that the spoken word and the written word, when you combine them, become even more powerful. Um, and actually our listeners can do the same thing. So we'll provide the link in the liner notes. And so you can do the same exercise that Julia is going to do is actually look at those four questions again and provide a succinct kind of written answer. Um, and then you can scroll through the answers of how other people have answered the same question. And I think this is our um, kind of research method to get as many different perspectives on how you could answer the wants versus need questions. And actually every chapter has a similar type of worksheet, which uh, is now being populated through these types of conversations that, you know, initiated by Julia now end up becoming a podcast, which might end up in the ears of, we don't know who for, how, I, I don't know how long. Um, and so it's important to note that, you know, we are currently now at the end or like in, in the 18 month mark of a COVID period um, situation. So if for posterity, people listen to this much later, a lot of lessons were learned around digital dexterity and how to connect with people um, also in digital ways. And Julia has a master at doing it. I, we, we, uh, you know, we get a lot of these connection requests and there's a lot of activity on LinkedIn because people really tend to use that for their professional networking. But there's very few people that are very proficient at doing that well. And so if you want to learn more about how that is really done well. I could highly recommend not just that one video that Julia posted, but check out the other ones as well. Some really good stuff there. And uh, Julia, the second question is, uh, because you can only see the delta of change over time, we would like to invite you for a similar conversation a year from today to see how your progress is going on your horizon of change and to look back at the delta. Do you accept that challenge? Yes, it's a great idea. And then, you know, you can then listen back to yourself a year ago um, and we can reflect on where you are a year down the line. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely. Awesome. So um, 
what we'd like to do next is uh, um, thank Julia for the wants versus needs perspective of uh, the talent of today and of the future. Right? You've given a very fresh perspective on this. Thank you so much for doing that for our listeners. Um, this is actually, we're going to wrap up the offstage, uh, the, the onstage part, and then we can talk more backstage. Um, is there anything people need to know now that we're still on stage that you, that you forgot to say or say like, oh, there's one more thing, just one more thing? <laughs> I, I think uh, I couldn't be discussing the things we discussed today without giving people a call to action. Because we're talking about solving people's problems. People are listening to this today, hopefully to learn how to provide more value to the people that they're speaking to, whether they're clients um, or, or other stakeholders. After listening to the person's need, you know, getting to the bottom of the person's need and then having a conversation like we did today that, you know, talks about different solutions and options for people. You need to give people an easy way that they can put into place what you talked about so that you don't leave them empty handed. And in addition to doing the work, so in addition to doing the, the worksheets that you talked about, Rude, I would encourage everybody listening to this to take 10 minutes this week, just 10 minutes to reach out to two people on LinkedIn, whether people in your network or people that you want to, to, to bring into your network and use the, the strategy we talked about today. So number one, identify something interesting or impressive about their profile. Number two is say that you want to learn from them. So, you know, creating the space for a really valuable conversation. And number three is asking for five minutes this coming week to chat so that you can make sure that, that you actually follow through with that conversation. The amount that you can learn in your career through consistently networking um, or, you know, the amount that, that you can, that you, the, you know, the, the amount that you can learn about the people that you serve through having those targeted conversations is going to be really fruitful in your professional development and also whatever you're doing right now. Um, thank you so much for that call for action. I, I like that attitude a lot, Julia. It also reminds me that every minute you spend with someone in a good conversation is a trust building minute, right? Um, if it's done right. And I think um, you've demonstrated that um, you know how that works. And I compliment you on that skill and on um, being on stage with us. This was a lot of fun. Let me roll the closing credits and then we'll meet backstage in just a couple of minutes, okay? This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.